Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the campfire. The only place where friends and strangers alike sit down and tell tales in truth or fiction. In exchange of my blessing of their safe travels. Allow me to relight the fire while you relax and listen. Make your mind wander about the reality we live in. The story I'm about to tell you is from a traveler named the Sawyer Green. He called this one the Midnight Zone. Please allow me to tell you his tale. We were all rubber band nerves and trampoline hearts on the day we finally hit the lowest point of the Mariana Trench. You could have restrung a guitar with the tension that filled the interior of the Triumph. That was what we called our submersible. It seemed a fitting name at the time, and boy, were we all tits to toes with excitement when we were on land in the daylight. Neither sunlight nor hope passes through the midnight zone, and we were long beyond it, reaching down into the depths for something more. Keep your heads on a swivel. No telling what we're gonna find down here, warned Simmons. He was the captain of the mission. Real mean prick, too. Always stank of alcohol during the meetings and trial runs. Now he reeked of so much Listerine that you could practically see the fumes coming off of his skin. There's nothing down here that's going to get us, Captain, replied Coatings in her know-it-all's voice. The sea monsters are up top with the sharks and the blue whales. I liked Coatings, and I especially liked her more down here. She grew a set of balls when they hit the bottom, and how couldn't she? What was Simmons going to do? Pull the cord and have us go back to the surface before collecting the samples. I don't need any lip from you down here, Coatings, he responded, staring darkly out the small port window. Can't see anything but black out there. If something wanted to grab us, it wouldn't be hard. Maybe we'll figure out a way to throw you out as a sacrifice. Jensen pressed some buttons, and the machine diverted power from the front headlights to the underbellies. Deep Sea Triumph approaching ocean floor at 11,212 meters. The steel support of the cramped pod creaked and groaned with the added pressure. I remember saying how in the fuck could animals live this deep down. The pod shuddered to a stop. You could hear a pin drop from inside. None of us dared move a muscle or take a breath until the Triumph's bones had enough time to flex beneath the untouched pressure. We all stared at the round port window on the side of the submersible, praying that the eggheads at the National Geographic Society really had gotten every calculation right, down to the millionth percentage. Otherwise, that tiny window would smash inwards, and we'd be compressed into tiny balls of flesh and blood. The process would be so quick that we wouldn't even feel it. Every second was a miracle, and we knew yes. We were still alive. After a time, we breathed a sigh of relief and turned our attention to the front cameras. Jensen diverted power back to the headlights and threw an image of an empty vista of milky gray mud on the small color screen that flicked and shimmered beneath the weight of Poseidon. We couldn't risk having an actual front-facing window this far down. I never thought I'd see the sand at the bottom of the ocean, 
remarked Jensen. Sand ain't sand this far down, muttered Simmons. The pod lumbered forward on its titanium-enforced wheels at a few meters a minute. The going was slow down here. Too much activity and we could all be goners. Best to take things one beat at a time. We found ourselves huddled shoulder to shoulder with each other staring at the small television screen. I squinted to see something anything in the deep black of the unknown, just where the headlights couldn't reach. Minutes turned to an hour, and it was time to go back before our air supply ran thin. Jensen turned the switches back up and we prepared for ascent. And that's when the static tore through our transmitter. It blared through our ears and brought coatings to her knees. I tried to help her up, but I found myself collapsed beside her, waiting for it to stop. A low hum stabbed through the whir of fuzz and white noise. It thrummed through the pod and shook the machinery to the studs. I wish I could say that one of us shouted grab the equipment or hold on. We're going to kick this thing into turbo and get out of here. But this isn't Hollywood. All we could do is shut our eyes and pray we live to see another breath. The fear and sweat that rushed in me and through me was my lifeline to reality. It was the tether to the living and the assurance that I indeed was still alive, yet coming closer and closer to an inevitable finality. I heard Jensen weep. I don't know what Simmons did. The static and the hum died down into an echo, and we felt sure enough to pick ourselves up. The pod stank of piss and fatigue. Status on the front, Jensen. I heard Simmons say, Jensen, he repeated, W, we've been roaming forward for the past half hour. We've got just enough time to make it back up before we run out of air. Codings heaved herself up, and God love her. She grabbed me from under my arms and helped me back to my feet. She looked at the screen and gasped. What the hell is that? We found ourselves at the edge of a cliff, and Jensen cranked the brakes on the pod at the last second. Risk of air or no, the Triumph couldn't make it down there and we'd have been crushed. From the rim at the bottom of Black Hell, we beheld a sight I'll never forget. Is that a rock formation? I asked. No, replied Simmons. It's a city. Hundreds of pillars stood illuminated below the ridge. Their blood-red faces shone from the surface of an underwater volcano which jutted out the center like a monument to the aquatic civilization. These buildings must have stretched hundreds of feet, though there was no activity to be found from within the limits. It was derelict from a time before time, hundreds, or even thousands of years ago. But what it was was truly unmistakable. What are the odds that we've stumbled upon the first human civilization? I asked, dumbfounded by what I was seeing. Zero, whispered Codings. This trench has existed for over a hundred million years. Humans have been around for barely 200,000. Can we go forward and get a better look? Questioned Simmons. If we go any further, there's no going back, said Jensen. I'd like to see my kids, Captain, interjected Codings. Just take us a little further. I don't think we should, I responded. God fucking damn it, shouted the Captain. Why don't you three grow some fucking balls for once in your lives? The Captain reached for the controls and pushed the pod forward. Codings tried to stop him, but he shoved her aside and rocked us. I heard a scrape and a squeal from somewhere inside the walls of our sphere and began to panic. Jensen wrestled with the captain's hands as the pod lurched forward and teetered over the edge. I saw the glass of the port window flex towards me. Any second I'd see a crack, feel a nanosecond of icy cold, and then nothing. God help me, I've never been in a fight, 
but I did the only thing I could do. I reached around the captain's neck and tightened the crook of my arm around his carotid artery. They call it a rear naked choke in the jujitsu world, though I only knew it from television. He tried to yank free. I felt him tuck his chin and try to bite into my flesh. He even elbowed me in the side, and I'd later find out he'd cracked a rib. But I wouldn't let go. To do so would mean death. After he lost consciousness, I took my shirt off and we used it to tie his hands behind his back. We still don't know what happened to the captain once we got to the surface and had a good look at him. He was reserved and calm, but his eyes told a different story. He even laughed and celebrated our accomplishment with the local news and the National Geographic Society. Champagne, a plaque, interviews, the works. But he wasn't the Simmons we went down there with. He wasn't the same mean prick who told us San ain't San this far down. I could see the rage behind those eyes. Nine months later, the captain commandeered a follow-up mission for some photographs of the discovery. Jensen, Codings, and I tried like hell to convince the Ingo not to let him go down there. Especially not with a the crew. They laughed and said he was a hero, breaking new ground for the good of humanity. And science. The Lazarus never made it back to the surface. The last thing the transmission picked up was at 10,000 meters. What are we going to find when we get down there? A city. We're going to find a city. A what? You'll see. Just take us a little further. Now, that was the end of my tale. I hope you enjoyed yourself, listening while escaping the world you live in. That is all for today. Safe travels, and a blessed day.